Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you want even more Rock on Tours? Well, if so, go to rockontours.com and sign up for our new premium service, Rock on Tours Extra, where you can get access to bonus content, extra episodes, video, meet and greets, and even tickets to some very special events we have planned. It's something very special that we'll be announcing very soon with exclusive early access only to Rock on Tours subscribers. So head to rockontours.com to find out more. Hello, Gary. Hello, Guy. It feels weird saying that, actually. It's saying that face-to-face to you. Face-to-face. And we're both wearing blue. We are both wearing blue. We didn't get an email about that, did we? No, and both wearing knitted cotton. Right, so we've got merchandise sorted out for the future. <laughs> I'm sure. So anyway, this is a second part two. Yes, it is. It is. And, and, and uh, you know, I don't, we, it's not going to be a standard rock on tour, so we're not going to be going back through the whole career like we did before, but we are going back into the past, nevertheless. Because well, we're very much going back into the Well, because, let's face it, that's what we do. Yeah, and he started it because he's come up with these diaries. Yeah, he started it. I'm going to tell him that. Um, no, he has come up with these diaries, which are, which are fantastic. To and it's also the fact that it is just those, it's that, that journey, that incremental journey from kind of nothing to everything that's like the always the interesting bit of a band. Yeah, I mean, as he says himself, you know, it just kind of gets repetitive after that once you get. Yeah, but it, you, when you look back on those diaries, there's a, there's a sort of, you know, that innocence of, of not knowing that he was going to become one of the biggest rock stars in, in, in the yeah. world. You know, that, that, that's quite touching in a way. Did you ever have that moment? Do you have diaries? I don't have diaries. I found one from 1987, and but I was just, but it's, it was literally just kind of Psalm 12 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, well, just, or, it's yeah. not far well, off. I of guess it. it's not that. Yeah. Laundry? Did, did you? I bet you did. But yours, yours were with press. Flowers you know what? I'm all, everything. I always, I always, I do. There are periods when I kept diaries. Yeah, and but I tend, to, it tends to be January when they're really intense and all about my inner emotions, and then by February I'm bored. Yeah, you know, this back to laundry. I did used to keep journals when I went on adventurous trips, like going around Peru or something. I would keep a journal, which is very Victorian gentleman sort of thing. You came back from Peru with with some Peruvian costume, didn't you, or something? But you was. But what did they wear in Peru? They wear. I can't remember. I thought I thought it was one of. I thought I just borrowed an old one of yours. And you said I'm. I'm definitely going to be wearing this when I get the milk in the mornings in Notting Hill Gate. Because some things don't travel, do they? No, no, very so much doesn't travel, as I think everyone has found out over the years. Things to remember whenever you see anything when you're on holiday is context is all. It is, yeah. Listen, I wanted to just mention Harry Belafonte. Who yes. Died. Did you know Calypso was the first million-selling album? That's right. I did know that ever. And when I grew up as a kid, you know, Deo was how like everywhere. Well, I was, I was going to say, how well do you remember that? It's, it's, it's literally, it's imprinted in your DNA like Oliver is. It is. And, and, uh, and the Jamaica song. And I think there might be a connection with Stuart. They're just nice. Um, can I also ask you a question? Do you know what the first million selling single ever was? Is it Heartbreak Hotel? No, it's, it's before then. 
Is it White Christmas? It, well, that was one of them, but not the first. Chattanooga Choo Choo. Oh. Glenn Miller. Which my son loves. He's like, he's playing that all the time. And then there was another one. And, and this was also on the radio, nonstop when we were kids. 16 Tons. Oh, so, and what do you get? Yeah. So two, got... actually, funny enough, Deo and 16 Tons, two songs about workers. Yeah, yeah. One about people loading up a banana boat and the other one about um, uh, a miner. Yeah, you know? it's very so, true. Yeah, there was just kind of years before spring. Who recorded 16 Tons? Johnny Cash. He must have done, but it wasn't the hit single. Now I, oh, I'm you, only oh, I thought you were about to. I, I am going to tell you, and it's come on, Bill. It's 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 it, oh my god, it's a guy called Ford. He's called. We're going to look him up, right? We're going to look him up while the music runs or whatever that thing when we have the uh, you know the the intro da, tape da, da, as it were. Da, we're going to look da, him da, up. Da, da. I'm going to tell you who it was because uh, it's a bizarre one. Well, let's get Stuart on. Welcome to the Rock and Toast. Okay, guys, I'm ready. But it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I'm sitting in the back of the car coming into London. They're brilliant. That caused a big problem in the band, actually. I was having too much fun. Thank you guys for still being around, still making music, still being into it, and doing this podcast. It, it's uh, it's fabulous. Well, I get the feeling that us three should go for a pint. That's what I think. I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. To, to get good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Keep on rocking! My rightful place at the center of things. At, at the center of a three-piece. Yeah, right. That's right. Usually <laughs> <laughs> I see the back of your head. Let's, Let's go, go. Wait, keep it rolling, keep it rolling. My particular three-piece was my favorite angle. Keep it rolling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, roll it. We're giving you pearls here. Yes, yes. Um, no, I've just right, we've got, okay, we've got a power trio we right here. We talk like the wind. So yeah, it's a trick. I've, I've actually brought the peroxide along, so I thought that well, we can just all you do can it, both right? Use a bit of peroxide. I, I've I'd been say. desperately looking online for your nineteen. Although, just give Ridley's it a couple commercial. more years, and you won't need any peroxide. I think there, guy. Oh, it started. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we we were having a discussion. Um, sorry, were you just about to say something? I was about just peroxide. about to say something. So sorry. Uh, no, I was just saying that I've been talking of the peroxide. I've been desperately looking online, and you can't find. I don't know if it's been scrubbed. Your 1978 Wrigley's commercial. No, it doesn't exist. Because um, commercials, as we all know, are they, they hire 10 different people to do it, and the, the winner goes on the air. And uh, they spend a lot of money on other versions, and this was a lost other version. They, the, the client, Wrigley's, just, eh, I don't know. And so it went into a vault never to be seen again. Oh, wow. Many have tried to find sure it. I'm sure that Marsden has something to do with that, making sure it stayed in the vault. It's buried, isn't Who? it? Who? Yeah. Miles buried it. Although I did no, Miles it. wouldn't have buried it. Miles like... would have put it out there. I think Doris Sting would have, uh, he uh, would probably, he was, for some reason, he was ouchy about that. Well, there's still the one you can see a nanosecond of him in the Triumph Bra commercial. Oh, great. Has that been found? Hopefully that has been found. What happened? What is that about? Could you send me that one? I'd like to have that in my collection. It's on YouTube. It was when I typed in Police 1978 Ringo's commercial. Well, that guy. Did you do the Bra commercial? Nobody was interested in my Bra commercial. Sting was the only person who looked good in one. That's right. But his wife was an actress, and her agent, Pippa Markham, took one look at the husband and said, well, let's send him 
to the audition for the modeling for anything and he would show up for something and get the gig because you know that golden ray of light coming from the heavens descending upon his magnificent brow (laughs) well it's what you saw as well isn't it fair enough it's what you saw you when you that's what i saw when i first saw him there it was shaft light and besides he he uh could sing and play bass and had a cool looking amp what is it you're in what 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 is it what what was the charisma what could you bottle that? Could you, could you put a? I can remember it distinctly, as just being meal ticket. Is it confidence? Do you think <laughs> it's the confidence that swagger? Has? Yeah, there's a swagger to it. And even though when we were playing punk music, you know, the first year and a half it was all my crap songs. You know, my two chords and crap. That's right. That's the bass line with dance, yelling. Yeah. Um, and he hadn't started to write yet, and yet we stuck together. You mean Clown's Revenge couldn't have got to it? I played every him. Breath you take level. Clown's Revenge was one of the songs <laughs> I played him when he came down to London. I, you know, I talked to him on the phone, and um, he came down to London, came over, and I like played him. This, this is the material we got. I got this band. I hadn't yet found a guitarist, which meant that I got me, and I'm planning to find a guitarist. But since you can play bass and sing, that takes care of that. We can, any old guitarist who can play three chords is fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he heard my demos, which I've listened to recently, and. Not incredibly impressive. I think it was the fast talk. Yeah, yeah. Listen, we. I just wanted to uh, before we get properly into the police and everything. And um, we were just having a discussion on our intro about. Well, we mentioned ha- Harry Belafonte, obviously, and we mentioned police the fact, Harry Belafonte. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, he, you know, having just died, um, we we mentioned that he, he it was the first million selling album, Calypso. Mm. And then there was a bit of a discussion about the first million selling songs, and the first one. Do you know? No, no, I don't. Uh, Glenn Miller. Good for him. String of Pearls. Chattanooga Choo Choo, of course. And then the other one was was 16 Tons. 16 Tons and a da 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 da. But I couldn't remember. (laughs) Well, you guys guys can both sing. Who recorded it? No idea. Tennessee Ernie Ford. Well, even if I had known that, I wouldn't have remembered it. But these, exactly. but, but, or even if I'd remembered it, I wouldn't fair, have known that to name. To be fair, that was a Google discovery. Yeah, it was. Okay. He had this Ford. He did have Ford. The beginning of pop music. This was the beginning, wasn't it? Of folk I music. thought it was Fats Domino. Well, yeah. Was the first it's like recorded backbeat, uh, and I can't remember what the song was, but uh, my research turned up Fats Domino recording in New Orleans was the first rock riff. That's, oh, really? I, well, no, okay. that's probably can, can true. Can we borrow your researcher? <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's probably true. And also, the other link, of course, the police played the Banana Boat song, apparently. Well, Nine. no, Sting would, because of his background on playing the cruise ships, uh, which is where he learned his craft, by the way. You know, a lot of times, stern employment. <laughs> no, hang on, I didn't know that. What craft was it, exactly? Songwriting. <laughs> the cruise ship. Cruising. <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly. No, how songs are constructed. Verse, chorus, yeah. verse, C- chorus. I thought you meant a sea craft. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was forced to learn the hit. And, you know, this is my thesis, is that sometimes, you know, I was a film composer for 20 years. Yeah. Before the master hired gun, flinty-eyed, you want happy, I'll give you happy. You want sad, I'll give you, you want happy, sad, I can do that. That's not an artist, that's a craftsman. And... As a craftsman, you have to go places that you would never go as an artiste. You know, one thing for me was when the director turns around, Francis Coppola turns around, we need strings. Fine. And so began a lifelong adventure with orchestra, which came out of stern employment. And so for Stingo, playing the hits on a cruise ship taught him, because he was a jazz guy, he had no interest in that music at all, but it taught him the construction of a pop song, what the pieces are. And it kind of went into his 
thing, and he never would have dreamed of dredging it out until the wheel turned and Prague was out and short, pungent songs were in. And I think that stern employment from his past stood us all well. I think the thing that's fascinating about Sting's songs, um, and it probably comes from that, and it's a level of... Listen, I think he's one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Uh, We we all know that. You want to see my car. There's always always a level of uh, storytelling that is not um, personal. You know, he's not really, it's, it's, it, it, it's putting himself in another persona, in another yes. character. Mo- usually dark. Well, there is some darkness there. There is pain in that heart. Um, he is the king of that stuff, by the way. Um, king of pain. Yeah, and I think that's, that's where it comes from. That I'm just a loosey, goofy guy, bang stuff, you know. I just, you know, sure, I can bang away on a riff, but to create those lyrics needs a deeper perspective on life. And like, as you very cleverly notice, he dodges the bullet. It's not about me. It's not I love you. It's someone else loves someone. Mm. Uh, And he presents it in a way that everyone can identify with, but he kind of, you know, every breath you take is someone else being a voyeur, uh, even though it's in first person singular. Yeah. But yeah, he... he I always thought that was him. (laughs) <laughs> you did. Because punk was always, well. I don't want to, I don't want to do this, I yeah, don't want to yeah, do it was, that. It was negative, so that's the whole thing. I actually do know who and what that was about, and it wasn't him. No, I, yeah. And okay. I tell him. Oh. We're good chuckle buddies here, but there's a camera rolling. <laughs> well, I mean, good I can know. tell you that it's his favorite fa- feature of the song. Not only that it's the biggest selling single ever, <laughs> the most airplay, radio played song ever, when you combine the police version and the Puff Daddy version. Um, his favorite thing, apart from that, is that people tell him that they play it at their weddings, and it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. but really, did you have you actually listened to the lyric? <laughs> but he loves that fact, and many of his songs actually have a hidden meaning. I think they're about this because I only, you know, like I say, I'm only looking at the back of his head. I'm not sure what he's singing about. Um, but I've, many of the times I've thought the song was about this, but actually it's about that. But here's the thing, but the reason that that songwriting got to take flight was this, one thing that comes over from the bit of the diaries we've seen mm. is that it was you putting your foot down about punk. About yes. being punk. I was the punk Ayatollah. <laughs> <laughs> I was the Taliban uh, of punk. To, in the group. And they all, in their autobiography since, they all talk about, well, Stuart was just on this f- mission. He was foaming at the mouth with this whole punk thing. It, true. But that was our meal ticket. There were no other gigs. There was no other scene. There was, you know, we weren't going to get airplay. And it was early, but it was early. You were, you were yeah, hit to it. Yeah, 76. Um, and through 77, and we starved through all those years until Andy joined. And for some reason, Sting and I stuck together in spite of, you know, we were very codependent in those days. We had a rhythm section. We knew that we rocked. And we got a lot of gigs as session players. And... Uh, but we just soldiered on in spite of being spotted by the critics as carpetbaggers. Yeah, well, when you say carpetbaggers, I mean, I like, I like this, this, I like the sting came down from Newcastle. You know, it's the same journey that Bruce Welsh and Hank Marvin. Sounds like something from a folk song. Yeah. The sting came down, <laughs> down from, from Newcastle. Newcastle. <laughs> Hi-ho. Yeah, not as good Hi-ho. as the one Sting would write, though. No. <laughs> but, you know, it's almost like, you know, you know, that, that journey down to London was so important in those days. It's not anymore, you know. People can make well, music everywhere. But London was the center of everything, wasn't it? I thought he came because I called him and summoned him and he came to my door. Uh, no, he came down anyway. He wasn't part anyway. of the Jarrow march. <laughs> no, he came down anyway. <laughs> he came down. barefoot. Yeah. 
but but there's a great bit in the diary where you talk about that first moment he comes into your room yeah. with the where the drum kit is yeah. and, and we just blaze and and, and uh, he wrote the same thing in his diary that that moment was like damn this is the musician I've been waiting for and we just went off into places and we're we eventually did kind of grow in different directions and you know the, the, we were not so codependent anymore but when we first started out all we had was each other and no songs no Roxanne no message in a bottle no no every breath you take he hadn't started writing them yet so what were you playing when you were saying that he we were playing clowns revenge songs, but was he not writing music at all he had a couple of retreads so from his, his bass instrumental, like sort of autumn leaves, or kind of. Uh, no, he had some retreads that he sped up from his jazz band and his Newcastle jazz band, Last Exit, um, and there were a few, but they weren't the ones that you remember now. They were sort of in that ilk two chord because our guitarist could only play three chords, which I showed him. Once again, that plus the cruise ships, plus being forced into this distilled no song longer than two and a half minutes straight jacket kept him kind of bottled up but we were a great rhythm section we just fit together with cool grooves oh, yeah. and we got a lot of work and one of the sessions that we showed up for um the guitarist walks in triple scale legendary guitarist who probably cost the boss more than us two put together but times 10 walks in name of andy summers mm. and uh we play this kind of prog material um mike hallett was the boss and oh, um oh, you came up the other the other mm. week well, we were. It was his solo album. For some reason, he wanted two basses. Go oh, figure. I see. Wow. Go figure. Two basses. You'd like that. It no, was I've, I've tried it. I was <laughs> in a band with youth with two basses. It's yeah. a disaster. It's a disaster. It's the worst idea. Ever. But as we're driving home and we're going places that we never allowed ourselves to go with the police because we were a punk rock so, band. So the three of you. Were no, just on Sting that. and I. Um, so is that you? Yeah. Think oh, yes, the three of us, including Andy, who so we just met out that day. There? It's out there. 20 years later, I get a call from Mike Collins saying, remember that album that we recorded? Uh, do you mind if I release it? I said, Dude, you paid me 20 quid. It's your record. <laughs> what he was really asking about, can I use the word police in the title? Right, 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 and right, so he released right. it, um, Police Academy. And it is that's exactly what it is. It, you can hear that rhythm section. And Andy, you can hear the police, but we're playing nothing like the music we were playing at the time. It was prog with lots of drum fills, um, and are you feeling unleashed? Is it unleashed? It like? Exactly. Yeah. And so driving home that night, you know, Sting is seething. You know, he's he, his musicality is just rising up. I understand that this is our mission and everything, but God, don't just a couple notes of music, please. <laughs> oh Lord, let me. Can we get that guy? Come on, Stuart, get that guy. And um, I, dude, he we can't afford it. I could indulge his fantasy. Why was he expensive? What was the? Well, he was. Andy he, was a was a triple top scale in, top job. Because he's older than he, you guys. He was doing he's ten years like John Lord solo stuff. He was doing uh, all sorts. Of Neil, is, that, is Andy eighty yeah, now? Savoy Brown. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Animals. Um, yeah. So he, he was older. He, he was he's a sixties player. That's right. Isn't it? Yeah. That's right. And he'd been around the block. He had a huge musical education. There's no question that Andy's style must have influenced Sting's songwriting. It wouldn't have happened. Um, well, we, I'd have lost him, for one thing. So we're driving home, and, and uh, he's seething, and I'm kind of humoring him, because I know we can't afford it. It's not going to happen. But we did played a show with Mike Howlett in Paris, and we we played a show at the Marquee, and Andy jumped on the stage, and we were kind of circling, and could, could it, you know, no, no, he's not. You know. Finally, one day, Andy popped the question. Uh, he was talking to Sting and said, you know, uh, let's let's do it. And I ran into him that same afternoon um, at Oxford Street 
tube station. Hence one train later. And hence one train later. And he pulls me into a calf and he says, dude, you and that baseball player, he didn't use the word dude, whatever the 70s version of dude was. Squire. Dear boy. Squire. Dear boy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Geezer. <laughs> you and that bass player have got something, but you need me in the band and I accept. Now, Andy objects fiercely when I tell this story, but it's so Andy and it's so who he is. He's direct, straight to the point. That's his thing, and that, which I admire. And, um, and I'm going, to, you know, uh, dear boy, uh, we don't have a record company. I'm the record company. Illegal Records is just me with a, with a le- Letra set. We don't have management. Um, and we don't have any roadies either. Uh, well, yeah. yeah, we do. You. And I, I was just, because I knew that, you know, this is great and everything, but he's going to, he's not going to last. He's, yeah. you know, he's, we're, and years later, uh, recently, I asked him, now I can use the word dude. Dude, what were you thinking? Joining a couple of fake punks, scorned by all, although he probably didn't know that, um, of a punk band going nowhere with no Roxanne, no message in a bottle, no material apart from Clown's Revenge. Um, what were you thinking? And he says, oh, I don't know, mate. Should have stuck with Neil Sedaka. You know. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, that first time he played, he just got up for an encore or something, didn't he? Yeah, he got well, up. And I love that you know. And it's I've so, got the recording, by the way. No one younger would understand how seismic this is because it seems such a ridiculous detail. But um, is that he was wearing flares. Yes, he cut it. Well, it's like, oh, my God. I don't understand why you wanted him in the band then. Because honestly, because, the music. because you're already kind of trying to sneak under the radar. And well, we, had, punks. we and were already written off and we just wanted to play some music. We just yeah, wanted to do yeah, some yeah. interesting stuff. And Henry, bless his heart, he could play those guitar licks really forcefully. He had a great presence on stage, but just... Oh Lord, could we just play some music for a living? But what would it be that would qualify you to play punk gigs? What what element did you have to add? Were you insistent on uh, a desire to do so, and a spotting of the fact of that that was it? You know, there was this party we threw. We were in a squat in Mayfair at the time. It was a very fancy flat that we were squatting in. It full of you know bohemian grandeur with chandeliers and wood paneling and exotica climbing up the walls and uh you know it's pretty fancy so when sting came over here wow I, uh, this this looks pretty high he was fooled by the the fact that i didn't tell him right away that we were squatting right right he thought he was yours and anyway our friend who is um luke o'reilly who was managing al stewart oh yeah um throws a party for his client at our splendiferous flat meanwhile i'm up in sheffield playing with curved air and we drive down or whatever city we drive down that night and as we arrive in silent, quiet Mayfair, and it's you, you, we could hear the party from blocks away, and we you know we can hear it's coming from that, that's that's our apartment. My brother Ian knew how to throw a party. Mm-hmm. He was the expert DJ. He just could read the room and was a, had a personality out to here. And so we get up there and it's blazing. What is that music? And we get in there and it turns out that the some of the youngsters who were there were Steve Cook or Paul Cook and um oh, and, Jones. Glenn, and Steve Jones and Glenn Matlock. Um I didn't identify them yet at the time. But there were these kids there. You knew Jones had been there when you when some stuff went missing. Yeah, my uh, there was a hat and I <laughs> looked out the window. I saw him walking off you know wearing the hat. Hey, you <laughs> uh but this wild party was going and all the Al Stewart glamorati 
in their bell bottoms and yeah, sophistication, and they would have been dancing suavely like that until these kids showed up with their own records and start putting them on. And Ian could see the room like, yeah, a lot more of that. What else you got? And see, so and they're out there just burning the, everything down. Well, and so when by the time I got there, the party was in raging swing with two camps. So sort of the sophistos were kind of off in the corner, disapproving and saying, "That's not music." They're, you know, and the the these young kids who I don't even know if they were called punks yet. Uh, the yeah. look hadn't quite, but they were just but what this were they vertical dance. It's have? not the year yeah. of the cat anymore. No, it's no. It was uh, the Blank Generation, I think, was yes. the, by Richard right. Hell. Oh, well, that was the main yeah, tune it. of the night. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so that explosion there with my brother Ian, who is an agent, also. And me and Miles as well spotted that's the next big thing. That's what's happening because we were all aware there was the crash of vinyl prices and you know, a, a explosion of vinyl prices, right, crash of the music okay. industry, right. yeah. and everything came tumbling down. But that scene was thriving, kicking, and you could do it yourself. You didn't need to go to the man, you didn't need to go to the record company. It was like a self starting scene, and that just looks really cool. Uh, and yeah. so that was when we spotted, okay, the Copeland family is getting into this business. You wanted to mention the, the well, squat. Well, I was about this flat. When you say it was a squat, that's not strictly true, is it? Well, we were squatting. That's true. Well, that's come from it, his uh, want to be a punk yeah. era. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, no, I've met quite a Since few you insist. Who, who lived in squats that sort of... My father had a friend. The trust owned. <laughs> yeah, but it was a, it was a, it was some socialite friend of your dad's. That's right. Who, who wanted that. to get rid of her other lodgers, so nothing stopping her from inviting a few more. So, and as the book suggests, I did Google Lady Georgina yes, Campbell. That's a story. Wow, that's tell, a story. Tell us more. Who's going to tell us the, the intimate details? Go ahead. No, well, uh, she was. I can't remember where she was born, but but she was born with some weird fused. Uh, genitals and so was raised as a boy uh, and then this caused a great I, I, I can't remember all the history but then but she became a lady because she was married to someone for like 15 days or something yeah that got her a title yeah got a title and then right. ended up and then she was the one person who you just couldn't all the rest out they took a look at us and left and um, I was there with my brother Ian and Sonia Christina and we moved in and we threw these wild parties and she could not shake her in fact, after, you know, particularly wild, noisy parties, Ian would wake up and hang over and like, and he would see a nice glass of water with an aspirin that she had left for him. Take that, motherfucker. You know, right. who's going to win this test of wills? <laughs> but we did suspect that Sonia was being secretly nice to her because she's like that. Sisterhood. Yeah, yeah. Right. But right. eventually she did leave. And when the room she moved out of, I moved in all my drums and my gear and the PA and the amps, and that's where the police rehearsed. And that's where we began, is in that squad. That is amazing, because I, I remember when I was a kid that time, there, there were, it was just possible you knew people who just ended up in amazing parts of London, in amazing yes. flats, for yes. sort of weird, nothing to do with yes. money or anything. Yeah, just, just right knew somebody you know. for some yeah, reason. No, I, yeah, no, that's just when I first met thing. Steve Strange. You know, he was living in some rich <coughs> French guy's Steve house in Chelsea Strange. with Oliver Tobias. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so I suddenly, you know, I found myself walking into interiors that I could, you know, I'd never even imagined yeah. existed. I spent the rest of my life trying to recreate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you with, just with, remember that Steve Strange pad. Yeah, yeah um, and also, I just wanted to also, there was something in the diary that um, <clears throat> uh, I, that rung a bell as well, because uh, after you have this moment with Sting, <clears throat> and there's just the two of you, and he's, you're, you're jamming on your first moment together, 
you go off and see Generation X at the, yeah, we went the, the Roxy. Roxy that I was at that gig. Well, I was in that know? room. And D- Billy Idol killed it. I mean, well, this is it, because that's the thing. He couldn't Billy, sing worth a darn, yes, but, but Billy, he just had that. He had an, also a golden ray of... But sun, I think you know. that's that Sting must have... You, you're playing with Sting, and you guys have got something going, then you go to see that gig, and you've got, I thought at the time, and pr- proven right, this great peroxide pop star yeah, was a was burgeoning the he was on just, st- uh, the Roxy. Ah, you know, just okay. so are you suggesting the peroxide. Well, I, I'm suggesting the whole thing that that Sting, who's a jazzer, goes along to see Generation X and Billy Idol, and he goes, "Ah, maybe this is right. This is what I should be doing. I can do that." Well, it wasn't out of admiration, but yes, he did have that exact epiphany. But it wasn't. Wow, that's so great. I want to do that. Right, right. No, yeah, it was, like, that'll work. <laughs> Yeah. I could do that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Look, look at all these kids around. Look at all these minnows around here. Let's eat them all. Um, yeah, and that was yeah. pretty much our attitude. And he's handsome, my God. They were both handsome. Yeah, and handsome yeah, gets yeah. you in rooms and yeah, in yeah, the charts. Yeah, yeah. When you look back in, when you were looking back in those diaries, and were there surprises for you? Has this been? Because the last time we spoke to you, you hadn't even no. dug these out. No. You know, and um, were, were there epiphanies for you? The main one was how hard we worked. And the days begin, wake up, drive over to Putney, pick up the gear, go pick up Sting, drive up to St. John's Wood to get my drums, drive down to Mano's rehearsal to rehearse for four hours, drop the gear back over at so-and-so size, pick up the PA, go down to the enemy to hustle for some ink. Mm. Uh, Mission after mission, crisscrossing London every day. And then down to the vortex to see, you know, the vibrators. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, over to the 100 Club to see someone else. And then, oh, you know, yeah, just yeah. The, 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 the pace of it and the struggle of it. And the thing that makes the struggle so poignant is that we didn't have those songs yet. Oh, what yeah, that is was amazing. it that stuck yeah. us together? Because, of course, you can imagine everybody was whispering in Stingo's ear, hey. So what was your set list? The, the set list, I've, it's in the book, actually. Mother? Uh, not mother. No, we hadn't yet reached that uh, elevated state heights. of musicality. Um, Clown's Revenge, uh, Landlord. They're all crap songs that I wrote, just utilitarian. You know, we, okay, here's E-E-A-A-D-D-D-E. Okay, okay, let's start with D this time. D-D-A-A, you know, just riffs with yelling. And um, he started by replacing some of the lyrics and writing some lyrics. Um, I think... Dead end job might have been his. No, landlord. He 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 took my my bass line and and came up with a different lyric. Not landlord's revenge. Yeah, <laughs> landlord's revenge. And then not too impressive catalog of material, but sort of interesting to look back on now. And I've got these recordings of our first rehearsals with Sting on the mic and singing some oh. songs that later became Clark Kent songs. I'm particularly proud people of get, those recordings. People get precious about who's the songwriter in the band. Hello, did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> um, do you, should we recut that with me saying that, Gary? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, can, listen. Can the non-major songwriters have a little know, moment even, here? Even now, in, you know, in Pink Floyd and people, everyone's trying to claim that song and who, who was really oh, at the boy, heart of it. And was there, was there for you, though, that sort of like fear that this guy's going to come along and I'm not going to be the songwriter? Anymore? No, not at all. Um, I'm a younger sibling, happy to be just on the team. I wrote these songs so that we'd have something to play and so that I could tell them yeah we got material and I played them these crap demos that I made myself on guitar and stuff and that didn't send him running which is another miracle 
And so when he, I think the first one he brought was Visions of the Night. Not one of the big police songs that anyone remembers, but it was a total up. Wow, let's play that. And then but he that came title up with, doesn't scream punk, though, does no, it? No, really? no. He had another one which had some I don't airy want fairy Visions title. of the Night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he had some other song with an airy fairy title, which was a retread from his jazz band. They said, that's no, we're going to call it Three O'Clock Shit. And he said, okay. But then he would mumble the lyrics so that nobody would know he was deep. Um, but one by one, his songs would come in, and each time, that was the best song on our list. And I never noticed that as these songs would arrive, oh, that song would depart. I didn't uh, care. All I wanted was us to have fantastic material to play, and he delivered. It wasn't until we actually made the album and were doing the credits. That was the first time I even noticed. But even then, it didn't really, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, no, I feel that Andy Andy's, has this extraordinary guitar playing, doesn't he? I mean, this arpeggiation that yeah. this nines, mute, palmed nines, mute. Nines. The guy who put nines into, put nines into, 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 into rock music. Yeah. Yeah. He, he really did, actually, yeah. even though it's the 70s. He set the sound for the 80s, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Well, part. with his soundscape. It the wasn't just doodle doodle It was a warrior. That was, was, a, that was the thing that it was the, the, soundscape. the police had. It, it, it was that the I always, that I loved. I mean, I kind of forget first time hearing Walking on the Moon. It was just this hugeness. Wayne. But, and because, you know, there's compression, massive compression. Yeah. But, but there's the most overused cliche in all of music is, is that thing of it's not what you play, it's what you don't play. But the police are actually the only real living example. We of used that to say working. all the time. You know, Less is more. You yeah. don't play the, the one. Huh? You didn't play the one. Who needs one when there's a perfectly good three coming right up? Exactly. That's right. Just hold it. Two, three, four. It's just two, like buses. Three, you wait four. for one and then three come along all at once. There you go. Yeah. Was there was there was there um uh, a moment when you look back in these diaries and you can sense, oh, we were gonna give up then? Well, Mike Howlett called with Andy Summers and he had our, the band that we were supposedly being was Strontium 90, which I thought was kind of a cool name. That was a very it, cool name. By and way, he changed it to The Elevators. Not a great name. Um, we just, we had then, then you're up against, yeah, the Manchester lot, which is uh, Mick Hucknell's band was Frantic Elevators. Oh, okay. Much better name. <laughs> but I thought that I'm going to lose my band and we're all going to become part of Mike's band. That was the closest we ever came because of the magnet of Andy. Fortunately... Andy made his choice and decided to go with the two fake punk rockers rather than um, Prog Mike, um, who had quite good material. But Andy just saw but these guys. He then went on to be Mr. Guys. 80s Pop anyway, didn't he? Flock of Seagulls. Didn't he? We were talking about him uh, a couple of weeks ago. Who is it he produced? Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. It's, uh, that our listeners will, will, our listeners will know. Will, yeah. no, they'll they'll let us know. They'll be Rudely. Oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah, they'll be on the mail. Yeah, Twitter abuse. Fortunately, Andy chose, you know, Andy... I discovered Sting and Andy discovered us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And fortunately, that was one of the times. Billy Ocean offered him a gig uh, for 50 pounds a week, uh, which was wow. big money in those, in those days. days. Yeah. yeah. But, but I guess what was so good about the police and why it worked in the end, and the cream rose to the top, didn't it? You know, of punk. But is you, had, you still had, you were a little bit older and you still had one toe in that. In actual music past, yes, that everyone was trying to say was full of dinosaurs and didn't, yeah. you know, mean boring it. old farts. Boring old farts. It's actually interesting that because, because look at us. We all we all went through punk. We, you know, I remember taking my records and selling a lot of them. Yeah, and, yeah. and then having to buy them back, and then and then <laughs> it serves and, you right. And then people were saying, oh, you know, punk is for the people, 
and uh, and, it, and it's about the kids and and the the, the yeah, trouble is invented by Vivian Westwood. Exactly. Well, exactly. Extremely expensive uniform yeah, you can exactly. buy we on King's that. Road. Yeah, absolutely. But you know when I. It was young people making prog. It wasn't old people making prog, was well, it? Well, young you people know. was making something. And as far as behind the actual music, behind the actual style, was the do-it-yourself vibe of it. We didn't need to go to Decca, which was Curved Air's record company, and ask for a favor to put us into a studio. We didn't need... You could do it all yourself. I borrowed 400 quid from a friend, Paul Mulligan, we went to Pathway Studios. That's where and, we went, yeah. Yeah, Pathway. and where The Damned and Elvis Costello. Dire Straits. And, yeah, Dire Straits, really. Well, they're, they're first, they're just Sultans of Swing. They they, they recorded at, at uh, Pathway, and then they tried to uh, make it better in another studio later, and they couldn't. They put the demo Is out. there a plaque? There needs to be a plaque. <coughs> no, it's not there anymore. No, but yeah. a plaque. On, on, on yeah. Pathway Studios, yeah. should have a plaque. But yeah. Yeah. The in Islington, wasn't it? We went, to, we went to Sigma Sound in Philadelphia. Yeah. And our big pilgrimage, and it's a car park. Yeah, that studio where all that stuff happened was about half the size it was. of this room. Yeah, it was, and and uh, the control room was a, a broom closet, uh, and yet so much great stuff came out of that room. Were you with Sonia when you left? The whole time, yeah. And how did she feel about you leaving? Because obviously, in the diaries, there's stuff about um, I mean, left, left what? Left their band, the Curved Air. Yeah, no, Curved Air just kind of fizzled out. All oh, right, and I don't even recall. When it ended, just there were no dates on the date sheet. We could feel the entropy of the whole prog world in general and curved air specifically. We could just feel it just running out of gas. And then this new thing happened, and I was all into setting up this new band and the DIY aspect of it, which meant that I could just borrow some money from a friend. We record the record. I designed the record sleeve myself with Letraset. I don't know if any of you are listening. Yeah, they're all our age. They might remember yeah, Letraset. Yeah, we, all, we all had Letraset. I had made the thing and misspelled it and then had to do it, you know. And uh, it was completely... And then I would print the... I took the tape and had it printed into 2,000 singles and I learned later that if I had the singles printed first, deliver them to RCA, who's pressing the record, they will put the record into the sleeves. But I didn't do that. So we got 2,000 white sleeves, and Sting, Henry, and I, and Miles, actually, was, was sitting at the Mar Marlboro Place, pulling it out of the white sleeve, putting it into a picture sleeve, pulling it out of the white sleeve, putting it into a picture sleeve. So that, I, was, that was your Blue Monday, wasn't it? You know, when it ended up costing more than... <laughs> yeah. Well... I no. ended up with these boxes of records, which I would sell using Miles's office, and I'd get on the phone and sell to record stores in Birmingham, Leeds, whatever. And they, the conversation would go, "Well, is it punk? Yes. Has it got a picture sleeve? Yes. Is it hostile? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> box of twenty-five. Box of twenty-five, please. Yeah. Wow. Easy peasy. Yeah. And because the record stores would say that, look, we've been selling records all this time, but we have a, a rack called. The kids would come and say, where's the punk? And they'd go over to the punk rack. They'd never heard any of the records because there's no airplay. They would look at the sleeves up, yep, hostile, and buy it. And that's pretty much, we we actually got royalties. You know, I'd never got royalties from Curved that's Air. That's right. It had to look like a hostage letter, didn't that's it? Right. Punk yeah. That's yeah, 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 that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, it was Jamie Reed who came up with yeah, the hostage writing. But because um, it also, it's because like, like you say, because the thing is, because punk, no one had heard it. It just existed in the music papers. And it was really That's interesting right. what you were saying earlier about your crisscrossing town yeah. in your day involved going to the NME offices. Oh, and that's absolutely. the one thing. Well, it's going to be the one form of media where, and every band will tell you this, you just went there to Those... get in the paper. You went there. You know, yeah. Yeah, Bastards. Yeah, yeah. 
That, that's like getting Neil. Instagram to, yeah. to, to yes. put your reel out on on, yeah. on, a, on the front page. A long acre yeah. down in Soho. Well, there was enemy Melody Maker and Sounds, and I forget which office was Danny which. Baker on the on the front desk. Yeah, I think maybe that was a bit after that. And but the enemy carved us up rotten. And um, years later, when we did our big reunion tour um, in 2007, and the world was at our feet, and <laughs> we are now, hey, Mr. Enemy, uh, I'll give you an interview. And uh, fully intending to abuse a guy and do everything with a journalist you're not supposed to do because I don't care. Problem was, Enemy declined. <laughs> you right. bastards! <laughs> Thirty years later. <laughs> but what was your audience though? Was it was it was it the same audience that went to the Vibrators gig or? Uh, or yeah, our gig? audience was you mostly get... members of the other bands who were copping licks. Uh, sparsely attended shows. Occasionally, we would get a halfway decent review. Uh, Paul Simonon turned up, and, hmm? and Paul Simonon turned up at well, some point. And... I remember when we went down to play in France at the Mont, uh, Mont de Marsan Festival. Uh, I got the right, the name right. Anyhow, this festival, all these punk, London punk bands, including The Clash, were on the bus, and Paul Simonon kind of, without Joe catching him, was actually asking Sting about, you know, should the finger be like that or should it be horizontal? <laughs> you know, he actually gave a shit about his instrument. He wanted to be oh. a good musician. Yeah. I'm wearing his watch. He gave me this watch. Oh, Who, I thought you were. Did? I thought you were telling me to hurry up. Yeah. We're finished. <laughs> <laughs> the pub's open. <laughs> well, some some of those punk rock musicians, in spite of their stance, actually were kind of into music and wanted to be good. It wasn't just a pose. They actually really wanted to be good musicians. But did you support any of the bands? Oh, I supported them all. Who? Because we were the fakes and they were the real things. So would we you get bottled well, off? Yeah. That's the best question with your sort of chops. I was, I was wondering what the thing is, like you're saying pe about people caring about their music, wanting to be good. But like, what was the cutoff point? How good were you allowed to be? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, Where did you have to put a lid on it? We could not play... Diminished. Too, I could play drum fills. <laughs> a minus seven. Well, yeah. good for Rat Scabies of The Damned, who was like the closest that that era ever came to Keith Moon. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. constant, nonstop barrage. That meant it was okay for me to play plenty of tom-tom -tom fills. Yeah. Um, but what was not allowed was uh, love songs, uh, guitar solos, improvisation. The, mm. the songs had to be on the money, mm. slam, bam, thank you, ma'am. Uh, and all these things. Those are the things that we started to bend the rules on just because we lack no of discipline. But you know what? This, 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 yeah, right, this, yeah. this is the, the sorts of chords had, had to be, be open. Yeah. Yeah, this is interesting in the evolution of pop music because that cleaned out all of the clutter of guitar yeah. solos and impro. And that's what the 80s were about. There were no guitar solos in the 80s. We right. a sax solo later on. Well, I, I dispute that. I mean, in, in actually, the 80s, certainly in America, in mainstream music, it was very. It was actually the age of the guitar solo. It was the age of the Steve Lukather and the Eddie well, Van Halen. Yeah, the shredding. Yeah, yeah the but shredding I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, when it was like Ultravox I mean, and Duran I, and Cold yeah, Company yeah. and Spano, you know, it was, it was yeah. the, the song was everything, wasn't yeah. it? You know? Well, it is ironic that the punkorama came with burned down everything and they burned away the guitar solo they burned out the love songs and were left with e a and d chords through a marshall amp with a drum set playing a backbeat the fundamental back yeah. to the exact same ingredients that have been there since you know uh, yeah. the you know Summertime the shadows blues, basically you know yeah. Summertime blues yeah and yeah. it was just went back to it didn't go back to somewhere new it went back to what was there before in fact ultra traditional i didn't mind i love marshall amps and uh, E, A, and D chords. 
Well, because even before, I can play them. Yeah, but you've said before, I remember from years ago, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last interview, that you said the thing you liked about punk was that you liked Jimi Hendrix and no one else seemed to be into that at the time. Everyone wanted to be mellow. Yes, at the time of the prog rock, I was into blazing, burning down the building, but everyone else was into intellect. And they had this horrible thing that producers would tell me about. You want to, would come in to produce Curved Air and ruin the band. Um, fat pack. That's the thing. We want a fat pack. What the, what's a fat pack? Well, a fat pack is a fat, heavy plod. Uh, whereas I was into crack. You know, that's my vocabulary. The fat pack. Ah, I shudder to think of it. But I, I, I know, I mean, obviously you and Sting and, and getting on with each other is, is famous. <laughs> you are not getting on with each other. But it was actually... By your... the way, we did 90% of the time. We had a deep emotional bond. But when we would get into the band room more and more, it was about the music, that he has a vision of music that is perfect in his mind. And for him, there is only one artistic truth. And to depart from that causes him physical pain. I've seen it. It's right, just right, like, right. can't Stuart, right. can't you just see the truth of what I'm saying? You know? right, right. And I go, look, yeah, I'll, I'll try. Opinion. Yeah, and I re recognize that there are many artistic truths. I can do this, I can do that. And I would look at the mirror every morning and say, today, I ain't gonna make Sting happy. Anything he wants, I shall do it, no problem. And by the way, I think he looked in the mirror, today, I will let Stuart be Stuart. And it didn't last. But, but what I think is, is it's their yin and yang that made it so exciting as a band. You know, you're, you're you know, if you don't mind me saying, you're a super tiggerish person, right? You're just, you know, and, and Sting is very, you know, thoughtful. Well, he is, as I like to say, he is quiet and deep. I am noisy and shallow. Right. <laughs> but, but it was that, it was that difference that came together that made it so whole and complete and you know Andy obviously just just sort of orchestrated Andy it. made it sophisticated anyway, I can't think of another band that had such a an important personality on the drums other than Keith well, Rats, Gabe, yeah, or, yeah. or Bonham you know it's very rare isn't it normally yeah. and especially in a three-piece but I also think this might be a, a, something to chuck out there is we all know how important a rhythm section is in a group we but keep when telling them. But when one of <laughs> but when when the when one of that rhythm section is the singer and the songwriter as well, there seems to be that be, that makes something much more connected with the rhythm section, doesn't it? Is that, well, That's a good theory, actually, because um, they're not just supporting the guy who's coming with his song. Yeah, they are the he song. He is the song, and I think that actually is a good factor. It's true of when. Of, of any three piece, I think what you're saying is true. Of, if, if it was the guitarist was also the singer and songwriter, I think it would be the same dynamic. Um, Maybe it was also when the singer is a separate Sorry. guy, it sort of separates it from the the music, and it's the, the music becomes more background. Yeah. But when the singer is the music, there's more. The music goes to the front. That's probably the only time as well where the bass player doesn't get told what to play. Or is allowed to play whatever yeah. he wants. Is if he's the guy. If singing. he's the guy writing. The, yeah, by the way, so. Stingo did have to learn those bass parts. They're really tough. The, singing yeah. and singing playing, and playing bass is so counterintuitive. Yeah. yeah, particularly if the bass Even lines are back to front and upside down. Even if you're playing the same time as the yeah. guitar, 
It's yeah. something I, 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 I've had this with loads of songs. I can pick up a guitar and play a song. It's the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. If I have to do it on the bass, it's I have to engage it's, a whole other person. Yeah, and you yeah. really have. I to know you're having a go at me here. Right? I'm not having a go at you. <laughs> Your job is easy. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about the orchestra. That's exactly what I want to do next, and which starts with um, deranged. I love that title. Or, yeah, which, which starts with with uh, a great uh, annoyance on my part, which is that I had to turn it down. Really? Um, well, turn down some gigs with you. Get a, that's right. You were yes, going to do it. And I was going to do it. And, I could never afford you in a million years, you know. Yes, you can. But um, In fact, all my musicians are people that I can't afford. And like my uh, Armand Sabaleka, who plays bass yeah, for me in America. A, uh, yeah, or, and Rusty legend. Anderson, who's Paul McCartney's guitarist. Yeah, guitarist I can't player. afford either of those guys. But we're chuckle buddies. And we ride on the bike path every Sunday morning together. And breakfast is on me for life. Where are you, do, you, do you cycle? What do you say? Along the bike path. It's all flat oh, along the, the Santa Monica beach in Venice. And oh, nice. but how, well, I don't like this implication that I didn't do it because you couldn't afford me. I didn't do it. No, I, I'm, it that's a brag. That's me bragging. <laughs> no, the only reason I didn't do it was because it was the, it would have been involved literally the day after when we finished the Source of Full of Secrets tour in Europe, right? Which was 90 shows in 60 days in 29 countries, flying straight to Germany, doing one day's rehearsal, and then doing a gig. No. Yeah. So it was I would have liked to have seen you up there with Stuart playing. Well, you never played together? No, I don't think so. I think at, at some Hollywood party years ago. That kind of rings a bell, yeah. Yeah, and I think there might have been. Uh, oh, yeah, Ringo, Ringo and was Jeff there, Lynn. and yeah. 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 One of those Nothing. fancy Lafrené parties. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, a Lafrené related. So Ringo fashion. and Ringo didn't get up. You did. No, Ringo did get up. He I did get up. Both of them. I can't remember whether Ringo. I got up yeah, first so or you're such Ringo. a tart. <laughs> oh, Ringo! It's like he's just got a vibe. Do you know? I'm, he doesn't go. No. It's like you. Well, there's he a great video of you playing his kit, isn't there? That you did. Was that thing. his kit? Wasn't it his kit? Um, no, no, no. I mean, there's a video of you playing his, of doing a thing where you're oh, playing Oh, that's Ringo's right. There was kit. some documentary and you, and about Ringo and him, they yeah. talked to all, every drummer under the sun and they had his kit there. But what's the kit? Yeah, what's the kit like? Uh, I mean, did, did you go, well, oh my God, it's Ringo? Uh, or was it just the way he hits it? It was just a regular old drum set. Yeah. But it looked, it was that uh, gray pearl. But uh, I once got a call from George Martin uh, who was playing the Hollywood Bowl with the LA Symphony. Um, and he, for some reason, called me to play drums. Weird choice, but yes, sir. And so yeah, I- Who can do Ringo? Yeah, really. <laughs> and so, a um, couple things. First of all, he sent me the playlist and I made a little playlist and I sit down to play drums. And I knew every song without even thinking about it. I just knew yeah. the song. Well, I wasn't yeah. even particularly a Beatles fan, but you just it just goes into the me musical yeah. memory. is a very strange thing. And the other thing was that I decided, well, if it's going to be Ringo, I'll play a Ringo. One tom-tom here, one tom-tom there. Ride cymbal, crash cymbal, hi-hat. If, 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 if you can be a Beatle <laughs> with that, I should yeah. be able to, you know. Yeah. And I discovered something amazing is how much fun it is to play drums without all these drums in the way, without ah, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. right here, doom, bang. And it was a kind of an epiphany, actually. But he was never, ever simple with Ringo. Everything follows the song, right? There's, uh, there's, there, you can actually take all the music away and just listen to the sometimes. drum part and you'll probably guess what it is. Sometimes, because he used his tom-toms Come a together. lot. Come Together should have pu that should, well, should be publishing. Well, Young Dum Diddle Dee should be publishing for that drum part. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so let's let's get back onto your uh, yeah, deranged, deranged uh, police because you've got this orchestrated album of, of police songs and you went back to the multi-tracks, I guess. 
there, two two questions. You know, I mean, did you discover stuff that you didn't know was there? And yes. did you discover or were you reminded of emotional stuff that maybe no, affected no, your arrangements? No, uh, the emotional stuff we've resolved. Okay, but what I think I mean by that is, is it's partly in his songs, right? That his songs, and I think it comes out in your orchestration, they have a dark side that was just barely toyed with on the on the original singles but you've kind of mined a bit well the orchestra has a wider vocabulary even than andy summers who has Mm -hmm. i'm sure he's got 12 fingers that guy and the only way we can replace andy summers is with a big ass orchestra um and so that darkness is there in the orchestration but there's also the brightness too and the two go together kind of well i think but the point that Gary, well, not the point that Gary was making, but there's a thing you hit on, which I think you mentioned, which is that when you went back, you did find loads of stuff that never, yes. made, which you which you've now brought out in the orchestra. Well, they were all improvised because it, it it came from the film score of a movie that I made about the police with my right. Super Eight yeah, footage. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, and to Great fun. when it actually got picked up by Sundance and had a life and became a real movie. I had to do a score, and as a professional film composer, uh, I, it had to do what a score has. I don't care if it's the police. I don't care if it's the songs that put me on the map. I, it needs to take a left here. And so I got out the scalpel, and I also, and, and once the scalpel was out, hey, this is fun. Uh, if those guys had only listened to me, we could have been nobody. Uh, and uh, so the other thing was that I figured it should be police music, but not the actual record. How about other versions of police stuff, alternative. And so I went in and I found lots of stage improvisations uh, that we did on stage, just stuff that, so they're Stingish and Andy-ish completely, but they're not on any record you've ever heard. So these derangements, although I've gone away from the original version, it comes back in the chorus. You'll, you'll recognize this, your favorite bits yeah, of yeah. the song, but there's this other stuff as well. But as true, you know, there's a few things that I added of my own, but... Uh, Main, it's based on Sting and Andy and the and the the synergy that we had. So it's all extremely policeish, but you've never heard it before. And it gives you a chance to do the drums to the songs the way that you've they worked out. Been. Because when you recorded, you told us last night. You know, when you recorded, you recorded almost immediately. You heard the song. That's right. And then, so you kind of discovered what the drum pattern should be later on. That's right. On. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, that's true. Well, you know, Sting had this great technique where he would not reveal his on an as-needed basis. You know, there's a pregnant pause. We just played my song and everybody's staring at the floor. <laughs> okay, uh, anyone else got yeah, Okay, I've got another song. Of course, he always had another song. And it was always better than anything we'd been playing. Um, and he would show Andy the chords. And as they're together and Andy's fiddling with the harmony and, you know, I kept hearing words such as F sharp minor, whatever that is, uh, and all this musical. Ninth. Yeah, ninth. Yeah. yeah. See, these Guys are both musicians. They know this stuff. I just you know I, this. I just stuff. bang Don't shit. Come on. And you got three. You got three uh, girl singers on there. Three soul yes, singers. Yes, three girl singers Who on the mic. Three soul you know. singers: Carmel Helene, uh, Amy Keys, and Ashley Tamara Davis. Uh, and they are three, technically session singers out of L.A. But I've exhorted them, pushed them, invited them, yelled at them. Step forward, steal the show, take the mic and own it and rock out, steal my thunder, go ahead. And they have all risen to the occasion. And we've played maybe 25 shows now across America and Europe and so yeah. on. And they've grown out of that because to be a session singer takes much more skill than being a lead singer. 
because 20 feet from starting yeah. yeah the lead singer goes off and does their charismatic thing the backing singers have to be on the money mm-hmm. so these girls have skills but behind those skills. skills they have charisma and, and just power and so they've really taken it and run with it and I'm in love with those three women um, and they they turned me on to a whole genre that I missed as a kid R&B I, I missed it it was all too straight for me it was all too mainstream and the gold lame suits and I, I was into Jimi Hendrix you know maybe James Brown was the closest I ever got to R&B proper R&B but now, having discovered the Supremes, the Ronettes, oh, yeah. you know, Vandellas yeah, yeah, and these girl yeah, yeah. groups, oh, what an nice incredible. Yeah, yeah, and the drums as well um, from those rhythm sections. But that vocal group thing, okay, four tops too. But uh, I'm obsessed with, with the girl groups now, and I'm discovering all those uses of three or four female voices. And that's oh, where the arrangements for these came from. There was some harmonies that Sting came up with on the day but I've taken them a little bit beyond. Yeah, because that's the one thing with the police, isn't it, where you were actually really stuck, which is in terms of vocal harmonies. You couldn't kind of... Well, Sting tried to get us to sing. Andy yeah. complied and would actually sing. Like, oh, can't stand, I can't stand <laughs> live. Okay, okay. And, uh, Synchronicity's got a lot on from him. It's all him. And on the records, it's all him. And he never sat at a but piano. But then you had BV's live, didn't you, at that point? Uh, then one tour we had three women yeah. on the mic uh, singing, and that I loved it. One tour we did, we had a brass section. Everyone hated that. Yeah. I loved it because I like working with brass, but management, everybody hated it because it's supposed to be three guys. And uh, how big is the orchestra on tour? Oh, it varies, 48. Uh, I, have two, I have two different sizes depending on, on the thing. You can't get it all in one van, though. I've, no, no. Well, no, I don't travel with the orchestra. Pick the orchestra up, go to rehearsal. It's all in your diary. No, 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 no. Then go to the enemy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, but no, that's I've figured out the new business model. I don't hire 48 guys. They hire me. The Atlanta Symphony is playing a You're show. Revealing your on, tax break. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, some of your accountants. You know, the it. Vancouver Symphony, <laughs> Chicago Symphony, whatever. They're playing a show on Thursday night. They're, they got their calendar, and we're, oh, see, see. we're doing Mozart, uh, we're doing uh, Shostakovich, we're doing a, uh, um, Harry Potter movie night, we're doing yeah. living, living, yeah. you know, and third. On themes. So, yeah, so they, they hire me to come play my show with their orchestra. So you go in, you have a sound check. And you're, this yeah, is the first time you've heard that, those, those guys. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? We have a two and a half hour rehearsal. Doors open at seven. You guys know, how long would it take for a rock band yeah. to get organized wow. for a show? Six weeks of shouting and sound, negotiating. Sound checking an orchestra individually. <laughs> yeah. Violin. Ing, 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 no. ing, but whatever ing, happens, ing, the sound guy will start off with a bass drum, right? Boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Two, two, one, two, two, one, 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 <laughs> two. Doing the symphony. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but they uh, the front of house guy, the room, the the theater, the orchestra they play there every night, so they're cool for the sound. Yeah, yeah, they got a sound check. Me and the and the guitar and bass and the and the ladies, but the orchestra's all set. So I just pull in. I feel like Chuck Berry, you know, when it's oh, the yeah, Atlanta yeah. Symphony or Nashville or whatever. It's it's pucka. But sometimes I play Cedar Falls, and I show up and it's the twenty eight piece version of the orchestra and it ain't you know the Chicago right. Symphony right. and I feel like Chuck Berry pulling in fire up the local high school band and count them in right. pick up orchestra yeah has, uh, has Sting and Andy heard this uh, I don't think so I did send Sting the score which is a huge book that big hardback that thick with 
all of the orchestra. No tapes, just the score. Uh, yeah. You spotted that yeah. right away. <laughs> just so I can, just so I yeah. can imagine him going cross-eyed. Uh, Andy and Sting both read music, but this is yeah. a whole different order of. of but, but you wrote this all yourself. You did it all yourself. Yeah, I did all the arranging myself. And when did you learn to write music? <laughs> Twenty years before the Masters, a hired gun film composer. Right. Um, Exactly. And then you come it with what's F sharp minor. Yeah, yeah. You know what well, I mean? Well, you know, but I, f orchestra is one of the main tools of film composing. And I, at first I'd write it on a computer and then I'd hand it off to an orchestrator who'd come back and I'd go to the orchestra date and it doesn't sound like John Williams. I'm going to say, yeah, well, you've got to put a hairpin on there and you've got to articulate it. The, the, the line isn't da 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 It's da 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 You've got to put that on the page. Because as, as in bands, we're used to just telling people. That, e. You know, yeah, no, but just like, Riff no, and here e. it's got to go, dang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And you see, well, dr the drummer talk, the, the, the drummer version of of, record, of music language is, da 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 ba da da ooh da 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 ba chi unk And no, well, wait a minute, the ba da chi unk should that be bodily chi unk or bodily chi ba? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, uh, you're on tour with this, so we, we, yes. people can go and see yeah. you for how long? How long are you on tour for? Oh, uh, it's not on tour because it's down it's to the schedule of these the different orchestras. Yeah. I have a show you're here. On, you're on tour. Well, I go no home. No one else is. Yeah. Just, yeah. This is your opportunity <laughs> well, no, to sell what you've got. I play a show, I go home. Yeah. A week or two goes by, then I play another show over right. here because this, you know it's, it's hard enough routing a rock band, but routing to fit all the schedules of these orchestras who have their own scene their own season yeah. all planned so it's sporadic and when are the diaries coming out diaries coming out in october you can and they're different versions right? uh there's all these fancy versions and, and it's um you get you deliver them for, uh, yeah i'll come you know the the the, the 500 version you get the book you get the disc you get i get you know i call you up and i talk dirty personally <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> Definitely you get, worth. You get an angry letter from Sting saying yeah, none of yeah, this. He sings "Clouds Revenge" yeah. down the phone. A at little you. extra, <laughs> extra perks. But the Clouds basic book, is in there, right? But the basic book is like fifty well, quid no, or something. No, no, what no, a, what a normal book costs. Version. Real primo version is that you come round to the house and you sell them a version out the back of your car. That's right. Yes, yeah. yes. We have to go because his manager's outside, and apparently you're going to Pebble Mill at one now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that still exists, but you know, I guess we've been told we're we're wrapping up. So yeah, okay. Well, pity we didn't have much to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening to all my bullshit. No, we, we love it. We, we love, love it, Stuart. To you. It's been yeah. it's fantastic. And I'm so glad, by the way. I I, I was with you guys when you guys were first starting yeah, I'm out. I would say thank you. you you're now I'm glad to be back when you've got some actual folks listening. Thank you for that. And also, thank you for coming to the gig. Uh, where, where, where was oh, it? Oh, it was, was LA. It was yeah. LA. Yeah, that was a fantastic gig. Yeah, thank you so A wonderful evening of just those songs with you guys at the front of the stage hamming it up. Yeah. Great to yeah. see. Well, we're having up some more this up. year, aren't we? Did you hear what you said, Actually, Dan? we Did might. You hear what we said? I know. We might. We what are a couple of hams. He, we might be crossing their, his path as well because you're you're playing some Italian open air shows. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. In July. Oh, where? Yeah, what? In July. We'll, 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 I don't know. It's how play places. Taormina. You're playing. You're playing Taormina. We yeah. played Taormina three years ago. Which yeah, is yeah, well, my favorite gig in the world. Amazing. Fantastic. And we'll look up Jim Kerr, who lives there. Yeah, absolutely. Has a hotel there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Cheers. He's a quiet man, isn't he? He's a very quiet man. He needs, it's, I was really hoping that we'd be able to bring him out of his shell. <laughs> to, 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 to take his light from under the bushel. Well, exactly, because he hides it, doesn't he? He does. And, yeah, and I was hoping to do the kind of, you know, that we could be like Parkinson with Dustin Hoffman, that legendary thing where he just managed to extract Yeah, yeah. you know what I like about him? He's, he's, 
he's, you know, there comes a stage when it, everyone has to accept that it's not the new material they want. He's and he's the archivist of this great band and of that particular moment in time when they made some of the greatest records in the world, right? No, absolutely. But I've, and I've got to say, the thing that actually one thing didn't get to ask say about was what's great about these diaries, and it'd be the same with that. It'd be the same with you, is that at the time to him it looks like this agonizingly slow process, like you know, what, what, and even you said, you know, were you thinking of knocking on the head and mm. and all that. But it's actually moving really, really fast. It is, it is. You know, but it doesn't seem like that. We thank you for listening. And uh, and thanks to Ben Jones, our producer, uh, uh, Gimme Sugar. And um, One week I'm going to get to do that. I don't you know why always I do, do that. Why do I do you, that? You always do the Because thing. I always decide to Because you want to be look like you're the nice one who cares about other no, people. No, just because I'm just thinking the outro's finished, you know, and I'm getting on with things. You do it. Go on. See, see me no, you've done it now. No, no, no next week. I'm bloody letting you do it next week, I tell you. you I'm going to be waiting there. I'll forget, won't I? <laughs> Go on, then, you finish it off. No, well, it's good night from me. And it's good night from them. Rock on Tours is produced by Gimme Sugar Productions for Warner Music Group UK.